Hey, everybody, quick note before we get into the episode. There's some audio issues with my track on this one. Um, they clear up around six or seven minutes in or so. So if you want to, you can just skip ahead. Six. Chris, the topic we will be discussing today is what do you do when your players get stuck? Oh, that's good. Not that players ever get stuck. No, yeah. no, not at all. Right, right, right. Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. Andy, it has been like two months since we've recorded a podcast together. We had the the, um, the design a dungeon, play a dungeon, and then um, I got the COVID. <laughs> so it's good yes. to see you. <laughs> yeah. It is great to see you alive and well, Chris. I will confess uh, feeling a little anxious as I dialed into this uh, meeting here. This video meeting, what I see a decrepit, uh, a Chris <laughs> that is just a shadow of his former self after weeks of battling uh, COVID. Or <laughs> I am pleased to report, listeners, that Chris is looking uh, jovial and full of life. Yeah, I is that how you feel? Yeah, yeah, I'm 100 percent not a lich. I can I can <laughs> confirm that on air and would a lich lie to you? So, <laughs> oh, like, of course not. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, I did want to say, yeah, so thank you so much to Matt Wilson, who came on uh, last time. Um, yeah, and, uh, just to cover for me, I really appreciate that. And then it was also just really great. I just wanted to say this super publicly. It was super fun listening to you two talk about history. Because, yeah, <laughs> it was just like immediately, like you dove in, and it was just this very high-level, like <laughs> detailed conversation about <laughs> about history stuff that it would take me like months to research to come up with any sort of like minor thought on so i love that that's so funny and it's mostly matt honestly mostly i'm just it was a joy to talk with matt i love yeah. his history insights uh so yeah um so we have a couple things we wanted to do before we got into our topic at hand um so astute eagle-eyed eagle-eared listeners will note that the uh we actually rolled on our table of topics and this is something that we used to do way back when in, in season one of uh, of the podcast but we rolled on our, our table of topics and our design challenges one we just wanted to, to give this a shot <laughs> this time um so i'm excited to get into that conversation but i think before we do that i did want to if it's okay with you i wanted to broach the broach the subject of the ogl stuff that's <laughs> happening <laughs> with the dnd <laughs> Yeah, so for the, for people who are listening to this in some time far in the future, we're recording this on January 17th of 2023, and I only get that exact because who knows what will be the next announcement <laughs> that comes out about right, this. For um, sure. Yeah, but this is all, so I'm going to assume, you know, your GMs listening to this podcast that you're, you're mostly aware of what's going on with this. Um, so Wizards of the Coast made, you know, a big announcement that they're going to change the OGL, which is sort of the basis, the foundation, I guess, of a lot of like modern, Modern game systems is the ability to just freely use some some basic parts of uh, of D anD. Um, yeah, they decided that they're going to change that, and then there was a big you know backlash from fans and stuff, and then they decided to go back on that. And but um, yeah, so that's sort of like the the recap of where we're at right now. <laughs> we're still sort of waiting on the next official announcement from Wizards of the Coast about that too. Yeah. So Chris, I'm curious. So there's obviously been a million hot takes about this and, and a lot of great commentary and insights from very smart people, yeah. uh, as well as from, you know, very ignorant people as, <laughs> as internet, uh, as internet discussions go. But so this is a situation where you and I might be coming at this issue of the OGL from different angles. And I'm curious what you think about this. So I'm an old man and <laughs> yes. so 
I'm curious how your relationship to the OGL differs from mine. So mm. the OGL was part of uh, a series of events in kind of the game industry that I don't, I don't know if it's quite fair to say it brought me back into gaming after mm. a, hi- a hiatus, but it was the environment that I stepped back into after taking a hiatus. So again, I'm an old man. So in like the nineties, I went to college, I went to grad school, and my role-playing mostly dried up. I didn't do much gaming during my college years. And during grad school, I did no gaming. And in the years after that, in like the late 90s, early 2000s, part of what drew me back into gaming was not just that D&D was coming out with this new third edition, but, but was that it was coming out with this open gaming license that... Um, I mean, there's lots to say about the OGL, but, you know, as I perceived it at the time, at the time, you know, I had Linux installed on my computer at home. So it felt very much a part of this sort of uh, late 90s, early 2000s optimism about um, changing the way that we relate to the systems and the content uh, and the ideas that we swim in in this kind of digital age. And so for me... The OGL has, it was an important part of the gaming world. And so I'm curious, you came into kind of serious tabletop role-playing gaming later than I did. And I want to say you entered in around the time that 5th edition D&D was coming out. Is that accurate? So I'm curious, uh, what does the what does the OGL mean to you as a sort of... Uh, in the last decade, um, person, a person who's joined in the last decade into this hobby? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Yeah. So like you said, you know, I came into this hobby. Um, well, okay. I came into running games, uh, with fifth edition Dungeons and dragons, you know, I was playing other games before, um, not, not running them, you know, exactly. Yeah. So I got into it because of, um, like actual play stuff. Right. So like, this is a big thing that I think came out of, came out of some, you know, like you could maybe say that it was the OGL that sort of did this, but I, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but you know, stuff like, um, like the, we were actually just talking about this on the discord, like acquisitions Inc, right? Like the penny arcade people were doing some games and stuff. Um, and then there's also, uh, the, the adventure yeah. zone too, as well, which came out, you know, so like these things were sort of like becoming part of the zeitgeist enough that I was like, Oh, that I could sort of see how games were run. I was like, Oh, well that's, that's approachable. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, I started started running games myself. Like, so I think when, you know, and then uh, from there, right? Like, so it was obvious that I was going to try D&D, right? That's the thing that everybody everybody's playing. And I think because of the ecosystem that it sort of built up around 5th edition, there was all sorts of content, right? Like all sorts of like available adventures for you. You know, like you, there was a handful of books out already in 5th edition um, by that point, right? So there was a, lots of stuff to try and lots of stuff to run. And like the 5th edition was also just sort of on the rise, right? I'm sure Critical Role was a thing, thing already by then I I was not really aware of it and stuff but there's just like this kind of like this celebrity complex that Mm -hmm. I think that was getting built up around around fifth edition yeah such that it made it pretty easy to dive in um I I mean in my opinion I think you can trace some of that back to licensing and stuff like that I mean I think again it's also probably just part of how technology was evolving too at that time um but yeah so to have that like 
that sort of as the basis for like why I got into the hobby, right? Like I have lots of good, nice feelings about, about D and D and general wizards of the coast and stuff like that. So I mean, again, we were also talking about this and, and, the discord and it's also like amongst our friends and stuff like so to have have sort of the rug yeah. pulled out right like i didn't go through that transition with with fourth edition right like most of my my interaction with fifth edition was like it was this nice big yeah. open friendly sure. <laughs> friendly place right you know so then all of a sudden i mean like i'm not so naive as to think that you know hasbro and wizard of the coast didn't want to make money before all this stuff started happening, but it is, it really does put a fine point on the, like the, the capitalism yeah. inherent in the system. Right. Um, you know, and I don't really begrudge them that either, but yeah. So it's just, for me, it's, it's this interesting, interesting point in time. And I remarked to you before we started recording today that to me, it feels a little bit like there was a spell that was mm. being cast around, around fifth edition yeah. that has been broken, right? Like there was a bit of like a charm person spell put on everybody who was playing fifth edition of like, Oh, like, you know, we're just going to always have new content. People are always going to be making third party stuff. Nothing's really going to change. And then all of a sudden that changes. And now the entire industry, as far as I can tell, at least in, in our circles and stuff are starting to rethink what their interactions are going to be with yep. Wizards of the coast going forward. Right. So it's like, all of a sudden it's like, well, you don't, have to play D D, so let's make our own systems right like let's let's make new systems let's go back to other systems let's you know make the the orc licensing system right like there's all this all this churn happening which to me is kind of a cool result of this thing that was fairly traumatic i think to a lot of third-party yeah. publishers yeah and i you know so. as we discuss this and i don't want to do anything that would disrespect the um the importance of the ogl to the uh, careers and well-being of many of our friends and colleagues out there who are doing work that's built on the OGL, and we're expecting that they would be able to do that, uh, you know, uh, indefinitely. So, you know, it. You and I have both recently read. I, is it Ben Riggs? Is he the author of uh, "Slaying the Dragon: That History of uh, of TSR"? Basically, yeah, yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, so I just finished. And that so, what a timely so. yeah. time to be reading that book. <laughs> And much of that book documents the the way that D and D changed and evolved as it periodically came into contact with corp as it as corporate interests, you know, periodically on a fairly yeah. predictable cycle, uh, involved themselves in the minutia of this hobby of like what kind of games are we going to make? What how are we going to support these games that we've made in ways that you know, directly affect the type of D&D book that you can go buy. And that I think, you know, have an indirect effect on the type of game you are running, whether you are buying every release that D&D's publisher puts out, or you're just running with the player handbook that you bought a decade ago. And yeah, uh, what it just, it's an, you know, I don't have any great hot takes, you know, for the hot latest hot takes, you know, go check Twitter, uh, you know, sharper people than me have good takes on this. But one of the remarkable things about this hobby, uh, and I don't want to sound pat patronizing when I say this, but, you know, when you own that, that is it really is yours in a way that is not true for all other hobbies. Like when you, mm -hmm. we live in a remarkable time in this hobby where there's just a staggering variety of games and once, once you find a game that you like, you know, it is, whether it's from Wizard of the Coast or it's from one of the many different publishers out there, 
you know, it is, it is yours to shape and to take in whatever direction you want. And so I hope no one is feeling despondent at the idea that kind of Wizards of the Coast maybe is no longer an ally to them. Um, because D&D mm-hmm. is yours, you know, whatever edition you're playing and what, and whatever game you're playing, this hobby is yours, you know? So I don't know. There's, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be overly uh, sen- sentimental or patronizing there, but. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I mean, there's a, there's something in like the, I like in the, in the technology world with like, you know, cameras and, um, and phones and computers and stuff like that. It's not like the new phone comes out and your current phone right. stops working immediately. Right. Like same thing with the, you know, your, your hobbies, right. Your, your D and D, right. Like you can, you can still play, you know, 3.5 for the rest of your life. Like there's no, yeah. <laughs> no one stopping you. Right. Like there's no one stopping you. In fact, like, I think there's something to be applauded in that. Um, Right. And like, and lauded, like it's, it's, yeah, you're, you're right on. I think that's one of the things that always has attracted me, you know, to the hobby is that like you, like, you know, you're making up the rules anyway, you're inventing the rules, you know, you're inventing the, the places that you're having these adventures in and stuff like that. Like any books that you're getting are sort of just giving you, to me, they're giving you hints and framework and stuff for determining the answers to some of those questions, but really it's whatever is happening at your table. Like that's, that's the thing. That's, that's the magic and no one can monetize yeah. that. Right? Yeah. Like like really monetize that as much as they might want to try right it's still like you can still go have fun with your friends with um you know pencil and a piece of paper yeah so if it feels like you know wizards of the coast is swooping in with its corporate talons and trying to um you know take something from you or change the way you play you know i hope that that is not i hope you don't let that get you down because you know this is your game and Mm -hmm. Um, the diversity yeah. of stuff out there is is mind blowing to me. So, um, okay, well, I think I think we probably said what we need to say there. Um, yeah, I I do not think this is going to become like a, a game uh-huh. of hot takes. <laughs> like we're not going to be following this news every every episode or anything like that. But we did want to say something just because it's been um, I think on the minds of pretty much everybody who's running games in some capacity. Uh, even if you want to just not think about it, it's still going to affect sort of the, the publishing schedules yeah. for the next few years, I think from, from every, every major publisher and hopefully in the end, we're all sort of in a better place. Um, yeah. Better place for it. So, I mean, like, I know like I'm not going to stop running, running games. I might not run D and D in the future, yep. but it's not. Yeah, for sure. You know, like, yeah. If I do, if I do, it'll probably be with the books that I already <laughs> have that I'm not running. So That's yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I want to ask you briefly, Chris, and then we can jump into our topic. I was just curious if you have any GMing plans for 2023, uh, and I will... Mm, yeah, I'm going to dive in deep to uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hope, yeah, hopefully you uh, had not blocked off this entire year to just dive into uh, that. Yeah, into whatever <laughs> all the places it's putting out. But yes, uh, and, I mean, I yeah. guess I'll start by answering this question myself. So my year is off to a great GMing start. I am mm-hmm. three sessions into a family game of Call of Cthulhu that has been as rewarding to me personally as any GMing I can think of in years. I mean, I've had I've had some oh, great GMing experience great. the last couple of years in particular. But um, so my my goal for twenty three twenty three is I'm trying to keep it simple and unambitious, and it is to. Mm-hmm. keep running a regular family game and i mean we're only a few weeks into the year it's going okay so far so um yeah i'm deliberately not trying to commit to you know running um, one of these monster published campaigns or you know any one of these kind of mm-hmm. gming white whales that we have if i am just uh 
play in with my wife and kids at this time in six months, I'll be really happy. So we'll, I, and I, that's yeah, let's great. check. Yeah. I want us to check back in how that's going as the show goes on into 2023. Yeah. But. Oh, well, I wanted to, to mention just real quick, um, if you're, if you're okay, <laughs> if you're okay with this, uh, the thing that I think is just so cool is that you, some of your family yes. members are going to keep a scrapbook of like a, a shared scrapbook yes. of the experience, which is just, it so is delightful. my teen and my wife, mostly my, my, most of the energy from this comes from my teenager are keeping a scrapbook where they're pasting the handouts I give them and putting little notes in there and taking great delight mm. in. So this game is Call of Cthulhu. So it's grim. It's awful. You know, it's nightmarish. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny to see how much delight they take from putting all these little heart stickers. And, you know, when, when you get a scrapbook <laughs> these days, you know, it comes with a bunch of stickers and stuff that, you know, motivational themed stickers and things like that you can put in. And it's so funny to see those mm -hmm. uh, ironically applied next to a page of notes on the leech man that just, you know, tried to suck all yeah. of your blood out of you. Uh, it's very funny. So <laughs> it, like, you know, if I can't think of anything more delightful than if in at the end of the year, we have a scrapbook full of, of uh, family Cthulhu uh, notes. So yes. I guess we can see if that actually happens. That, that depends on both me running these games and on my teenager maintaining the commitment to keeping the scrapbook and both of those are highly, you know, I don't know if I would bet a lot of money on either of those things happening, but I, I don't know. It's feeling good so far. Yeah. I, ho I hope so. Cause I really want like your great, great grandchildren to be fighting <laughs> over who gets to keep the, yes. the Cthulhu scrapbook. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that's phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to my kids being a little bit older. Yeah. So hopefully we can get some, some family gaming in, but um, yeah, so my, my big gaming plans for this year are, so I'm playing in, um, Matt Wilson just told us that we're going to be starting up a, an oh enemy within that campaign. Yeah. So I have read absolutely nothing about it. And now that he has announced that that's what we're doing now, I of can't course, read anything yes. about it. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm pretty excited for that. Cause I know it's, it's like a, you know, cornerstone yeah. of the, the hobby, right? It's a really good, really good campaign. Um, yeah, so I'll be playing in that and then. Um, I'm hoping to do some, uh, this year is sort of the, the first time where my whole family is vaccinated and it feels like it's, it's safe enough to start inviting people over. So I'm hoping to do some in-person gaming. Um, so I might run, I'm going to try to like target some sort of mini campaign in the next, uh, next quarter, you know, yep. <laughs> half year or so. Um, yeah, just get some people together to play something. And I'm not sure exactly what it is. Uh, again, with like Wizard of the Coast stuff, I might, I might try Pathfinder. i if Murph is listening to this, he's probably <laughs> like, yeah, like, let's, let's do Pathfinder, but it, it, yep. it might be something else too. Um, or I might just do a bunch of one shots or something like that. But yeah, I just want to, want to ease back into it for a variety of reasons. Me running games online was never, I don't know. It's fine. I can do it. I just, yeah. I don't love it. Love it so much. Um, yeah. So, but getting people together in person, I think that, that sounds very exciting. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, yeah. let's check in on both of these sort of uh, hopes for 2023 as the mm -hmm. show goes on. But before we spend up too much yeah. time, I do want to turn into the topic that we rolled. Are we ready to turn to the topic? Yes. Oh. Okay. So. Awesome. Well, so the yeah. topic we rolled to talk about is what do you do when your players get stuck? And yes. yeah, I suspect every GM has run into this problem. I have run into it in like the last, you know, two weeks of GMing. What do you do when mm -hmm. the players get stuck? Yeah. And yeah, I think if there were a miracle solution to this, we wouldn't be having this discussion in the year of our Lord, 2023. 
you know, 40 some years <laughs> after the hobby started. Yeah. But, um, the first thing that I wanted to like dive into, like, um, I don't think this is a bad thing necessarily. So, I mean, I think that's, that's maybe the first question I have for you. Do you feel like them, like players getting stuck? Is that like a deficiency in your GMing style or is that a, a normal, a normal thing that happens in every session? It depends a lot on the, on what has gotten you stuck. Um, so mm-hmm. your classic kind of player stuck moment is whatever, you know, the players have to solve a riddle or something to get to the next area that you have planned for them and they can't figure it out. Right. There's some, mm-hmm. I got stuck in our family game uh, a week or two ago with, um, in a different way that I, that did point out a mistake I had made as a GM. We got to a point where in our Cthulhu game, where uh, there was just, uh, the players were basically being invited to, you know, investigate something horrible, you know, horrible, but awesome in the way Mm -hmm. that all Cthulhu investigations go. And one of the PCs just was written up in such a way that it was impossible to imagine that this person would ever take this insane risk uh, to do it. And what that taught me was that, you know, what I didn't do when we were putting our characters together was say, make sure your character is someone who will always say yes to the offer of, Hey, do you want to look at this horrible thing (laughs) or investigate this very (laughs) fool, go on this very foolhardy uh, expedition. So in that case, I made a mental note of not to forget to talk about that next time we put characters together. But then, you Mm -hmm. know, there's no simple fix for me, you know, that I didn't have a solution for that except to say to the player, you know, can you think of something that would convince this PC to go against their better judgment and go on the terrible expedition? If not, it's not a problem. We'll find another PC for you to use. Um, If so, maybe Mm. use that as a way to push the boundaries of what you imagine this PC personality to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Cause in certain, in certain games, if, if they don't have that personality trait, like, yeah, it is a non-starter. So I think it's wise of you to be like, well, maybe you just need to play someone different <laughs> rather than trying to force it. Yeah. Um, yeah. A long time ago, I was trying to get um, someone, uh, someone to join a D and D game that I wanted to, to run. Um, and they expressed, um, express desire to play like a nonviolent character. Hmm. And I think I even asked you about this. It's like, is it even possible to have, have a, you know, someone play a nonviolent character in a, in a combat focused, focused system like that. And you're like, you could probably make it work, but it's going to be really hard. Um, yeah. And I mean, now with, you know, some experience and hindsight and stuff like, yeah, just there are certain systems that I think do not lend themselves well to playing against type <laughs> against type yeah. within the system. Yeah. And there's uh, again, nothing wrong with that. You just got to be upfront with your players too ahead of time because otherwise they're going to be constantly sort of like not wanting to engage in the premise. And then what do you do over, if, over and over? If you're just like, well, here's the thing that we're doing. It's like, well, my character wouldn't want to do that. It's like, well, everybody else wants to play this game. Do you want to play this game? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's, I mean, not to keep pulling examples from this, short campaign that I'm running, but you know, so there is another instance in which I suspect a player stuck moment is coming. Mm -hmm. They've been given information they need to know that explains like how to stop the bad thing that's happening, but they have shown me no 
evidence that they noticed that hint in okay. the handouts I gave them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I am I am already thinking, what do we do? They are rapidly approaching the moment when they will need to take the action to stop the badness. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they know what that action is because I don't think they read the handout clear <laughs> closely enough. So you know, yeah. what am I going to do when we're standing here in the ancient ruined temple and they're supposed to seal up the portal in this particular way, but they didn't pick that up from the info I gave them. Yeah. That's actually pretty interesting. Can we maybe dive into that a little bit? Right. Please. So like you, yeah. Yeah. You, so you have like a sort of an information asymmetry problem right now. Yeah. I guess an information and gathering, <laughs> gathering problem and that they have it right there that they just don't quite know where to look. Um, exactly. You yeah. know, so I mean the, like the, the classic stuff, right. Is like to provide that information in a couple of different ways, right. Have an NPC just show up to be like, Hey, do you know anything about this, this, that, or the other? Yep. Um, like that. I mean, I think it's pretty cool that they have it in their notes already. And yes. I think it'd be an amazing moment if you can somehow guide them to like stumble across that. I know. That's the thing. I have a PC all queued up if I have to, to say, didn't we read something about this back yeah. in your notes? But yeah. man, how much more rewarding would it be if they are looking through their notes themselves and have that aha moment, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. How buried is it? I didn't think it was very buried when I hand it to them, but they apparently it was pretty buried. Mm, it's, it's one of these, what's obvious to the GM is not obvious to the player. Yeah. Yeah. That can be, that can be tough. I know. Um, like, so the games that I, I, I play in with, uh, with Matt, like Matt's a really good GM for, for putting information like that in, in front of players, I think. And then also hiding it in some, some amazing props, <laughs> prop work as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, so if you have, if you have players that are invested enough in making a scrapbook, I mean, like, I wonder if there's something you can kind of play in, into that, um, into that, uh, that sort of like side quest that they've given themselves to make the scrapbook, Mm -hmm. you know, like, is there a way to like, that you could, you could nudge them in game to be like, I don't know, like breaking down their clues within the scrapbook somehow? Yeah, well, I mean, I have wondered if an out of co- out of game comment to the effect of, you know, there's more that you have in your scrapbook than you realize. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, the the harder I push it, the less the less fulfilling it will feel when they discover the clue that's sitting yeah. right there on like paragraph two of, you know, the, the <laughs> journal they picked up. Yeah, but uh, you know, so you know, ultimately, the least fun would be is if we all sit there and they don't know what to do and they lose the game because of it. So that yeah. that's less fun than me being forthright and saying, you missed a clue. Maybe you should look back at review your notes again. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that having to remind them like that as a GM sounds very satisfying, but it is, you know, it is a lot more satisfying than saying <laughs> you, you screwed it up and now the horrible thing is loose and the world is over. Yeah. I wonder if you could just give them a second, give them the same clue written in a slightly different way from a different, a different oh, source. Interesting. Right. So then, then you're giving them the opportunity to both get the clue, but then also to make a connection back to other material that they have on their possession. Yeah. If you're like, wait a second, that seems familiar or otherwise they're going back through stuff and being like, oh my goodness, we had this clue like three months ago and we missed it. You know, is there a way that you could rewrite it or expand on it um, in some way from someone? That else? is an interesting idea. I'm, I'm sure that there is a way to do that. So I'll have mm. to give that some thought, but that's a yeah. good way. That's a good way to tackle it. Um, have you ever, you know, found yourself in like 
I don't know, let's just say a D and D or D and D ish game, you know, stuck, mm-hmm. not sure how to proceed and the, and you watch the GM either effortlessly push you in the right direction or squirm uncomfortably for a long time until you'll figure <laughs> it out. Oh, I'm sure I've watched them squirm before. Um, I found that the more that I play, like the more that I play in games, the better I am at sort of unsticking situations by doing something dumb, um, yeah. which I think is honestly part of the, the the fun of being a player is you can just, you know, sort of drive it like you stole it. Like you just you know, like, well, I'm going to see what happens when I do this, this thing, right? And give the, give the GM sort of something to react to. So I think I find on the GMing side, that's often a good approach to like getting people unstuck is to to change what's happening with, within the scene in some way, either by adding some sort of tension or some sort of, you know, secondary hmm. mission or kind of making it really clear, like what the present danger is, um, you know, to them. Uh, because often when they're stuck, they're sort of missing some sort of broader context, I think is, is, is what, what has mm-hmm. often happened. What often happens to me when I find that players are getting stuck is that like, I haven't given them enough to sort of make that next step or sort of make a decision. Um, like the situation is too vague or too constrained in some way. So there needs yeah. to be some sort of like, you know, other thing that shows up, shows up in order to, to, to push them along. You know, like I'm thinking to like the last game I run was actually the actual play, right. That we mm-hmm. <laughs> published, um, which um, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, if you want to see all the times that my players get stuck, go ahead and listen to some of those actual plays and you can get, yeah. <laughs> get do you the have life. a good, yeah. a particular example in mind from this actual? Yeah. Actual play? Yeah. So uh, like right, uh, right when I started that, that session, um, they were in jail and I did not give them enough to sort of like do anything with. Right. So like mm-hmm. right from the get go, I put them in a situation that was too vague for them to, to really know like how to react. And was but, it your hope that they would be getting themselves out of jail, but yeah. they didn't have enough hooks to do that? Yeah, they did not have like as presented. So I mean, I think you can probably even you listen back, you can hear me like scrambling a little bit to try to like, like add to the scene, <laughs> um, you know, as it was going because like, for, for whatever reason, I didn't think through the like, you know, uh, what all they would need to do in there, right? So like, all of a sudden, you know, they're sort of like stuck. And it's like, well, this one's on me, right? Like, I, I shouldn't have put you in that situation in the first mm-hmm. place. Right? Yeah, like, that's the sort of situation I think you can you can find yourselves put in later on. But as a GM, if you if you put people in that that position where they're they're sort of like locked up, can't really don't really have anything to do, right? Like they don't have any items, they don't have anyone to interact with, right? They're just sort of in there. It's like, well, I mean that that one's on me, right? <laughs> you know. Yep. But then other, you know, so like I think that's a good example which you can you can listen to or not if you want to. But I mean, I think other times that I've had uh, players get stuck, it it really is just like when they have a decision point, but they don't have enough information. Hmm. it's really hard unless you have people who are, are really good at being players to kind of break free from that. Um, yeah. Either because they understand that there's something in their notes they missed or that they're okay with sort of making a decision without all the information in front of them, um, which yeah. goes against a lot of uh, uh, player personality. Yeah, <laughs> personality. for sure. Yeah. Well, it occurs to me, you know, you would ask at the beginning of this conversation, is it a problem when players get stuck? Right. And that's the tricky part right there, because it isn't always a problem. You know, like getting um, players winding up not sure how to proceed is, uh, I would say, if there is no risk in your game that the players could get themselves stuck, it sort of takes away some of the uh, joy of when they don't get stuck or when they get themselves unstuck, right? Yeah. But that threat of like getting stuck and just having the investigation peter out because they 
they couldn't figure out, they couldn't find the right clue or they couldn't put the puzzle pieces together. That sounds really unsatisfying to describe. Like who mm-hmm. would ever want to end their role-playing session with like, well, you didn't put the clues together and the murderer killed 10 more people and escapes, right? That, yeah. That's yeah. terrible. But at the same time, there's something about having the genuine threat of like, truly, truly you could fail to accomplish this. You could fail to succeed and there would be consequences in the game world and in the real world as our game session ends on a deflating um, down down note Mm -hmm. Um, so there is something to be said about letting people uh, squirm I guess Mm -hmm. just a little bit Um, but I mean I guess the art and skill of GMing is knowing what's the balance like how do I set my players up for success without being just waiting in the wings to give them whatever they need if they don't figure it out themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's a really good way of putting it. Cause it is just like, yeah, if you, if there's no chance of getting stuck, then it's just totally on the rails. And I think this is where, where the term rail, railroading is appropriate. And that, yeah. like, you know, you're not given any interesting choices. Um, yeah, and, and there's interesting choices as a player because it's like, well, I'm going to do this and then this and then this, right? Because like the, the GM sort of just telling me what to do, what to do next. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think any amount of decision is where the game, these games make the most most sense as a as a way to have fun, <laughs> fun yeah. together. Even if that's just like, okay, well, there's a door to the left and a door to the right. Like we don't really have information. So how do we get more information in order to make a decision, right? Because yep. it's like, so if you have a door to the left and a door to the right, it's like, all else being equal, it's like, well, why don't we just, you know, flip a coin and decide, right? But, like, I think there's easy ways for the GM to, like, make those intriguing choices, right? Like, one door is hot, one door is cold. You know, like, one door has a light, one door doesn't, mm-hmm. right? Like, just little things like that. It's like, and then then they can make a decision. There still might be an argument about what to do exactly, but they're not not necessarily stuck in that they're not having a conversation about the decision decision to make. Yep. I think also, you know, it reminds me of the way an awful lot of modern games approach the challenge of the uh, failed skill role Mm -hmm. um, and the kind of idea of failing forward, you know, to the extent that you can. And my my brain is is spinning right now trying to think of ways to do this for this Cthulhu, this (laughs) this situation, the stuck situation I know that the party is walking towards right now. Yeah. How can I make it so that the consequences of not figuring it out are real, but not game killing, mm. right? So, um, you know, in the ideal situation, in this particular case, they're there in the ruined temple. They know exactly what to do because they read the note, the diary they found very carefully and they know what to do to stop it. Mm-hmm. So what if they don't get there? I think, I think I sh- as GM should have something other than what you know cthulhu gets out you all die as the (laughs) consequence for not having figured it out and i mean that's a lot easier said than done but i would prefer to aim for that sort of idea of failing forward on a more meta scale Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't know if you have suggestions by the way for how i can if their job is to seal away the ancient thing and they don't know how to do it how do i let them fail without 
for having it come out and end the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I guess what's Cthulhu's AC, right? Like, you... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Roll for initiative. Yeah, roll, roll your percentile dice and hope that you, <laughs> you have I mean, the elder And, guy. you know, I mean, this is a, and, you know, this is a GM problem if I have found myself in this spot. Because, mm-hmm. like, I have set up a, a challenge for the players where failure is just catastrophically, ludicrously disastrous. Yeah. That was probably a mistake, right? Uh-huh. Um, so be maybe, maybe though, because I think if I was playing a Cthulhu game and there that wasn't an option, I'd be a little disappointed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's yeah. the challenge, right? I yeah. mean, if it comes out and it's not really that bad, what were we risking all of this to try mm-hmm. and stop in the first place for? Right? Yeah. I mean, um, maybe maybe that's your your season two then of the of the campaign is like, well, this got out. Like, how are you going to how are you going to fix it? Oh you know, yeah, like, you know, it could be it could be almost world ending and such that like, you know, civilization is very changed, but maybe there's like one last chance that you're given yep. by, by some, some opposing God to, you know, go back in time and fix it as <laughs> an option. I, you know, yeah. Thinking on that level, there are more options now all of a sudden. Yeah. So we'll it's see. A, yeah. It's, it's as we're talking about this, like, I mean, it, um, it's funny to me that like we are, I think we're identifying that, when the players are stuck, it's usually because the GM is stuck. <laughs> it's mm, like, yep. yeah, like you, you as a GM, like kind of don't know the next thing to say to sort of get them unstuck or to the thing to point out or, or otherwise. I mean, I think they're like, you, you kind of never want to out of character, I think be like, Hey, you know, look at this note, you know, like you, you, know, you, <laughs> yes. you missed this obvious note, right? Or like, Hey, look at your character sheet. You've got, you got an item there. Yeah. It can really help you in this situation. I think you want to avoid that, but as a GM, I think you want to, you know, like you want to be able to guide the experience a little bit, or at least offer, offer some compelling choices to players too. Um, so, I mean, maybe another like quick, a quick thing we could maybe talk about just for a couple of minutes is like, do you have any strategies for when you are stuck as a GM about coming up with the next thing, the next thing to offer them or the thing to nudge them in the right, right direction? Do you have a, a bag of tricks that you, you pull from? I mean, I wish that I could answer confidently. Well, yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is I, you know, stare awkwardly at people and then engineer a combat scene or something to buy me time to think of my way out of this ludicrous yeah. problem that I'm stuck in. Yeah. Uh, how, how would you answer that question? Yeah. I mean, I think the, like you're, you're right on like the combat scene is sort of a good way to, to give yourself some, some, some breathing room. <laughs> yeah. There's that. I mean, I don't know if it was Raymond Chandler who actually said this, but there's that old quote that, you know, when you're stuck as a writer or whatever, just have people burst through the door with guns. Yeah. 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 Burst through the door holding two Chekhov's guns. You're you're right. You mentioned earlier, you know, throwing something, throwing something like new and out of context at the players, I think can be a way to unstick something. Just, Mm -hmm. Don't try and solve the problem. Throw something else into the mix because players are so clever and so good and so interesting. And if the problem is they're not figuring out what to do with the toys you've given them, throw some more toys into the mix and see Mm -hmm. what they do with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's again, that's easy for me to say, but you know, something as simple as this other person who you haven't seen for six months just bursts through the door with their gun out and stuff like that. You know, you've thrown this wild card that into the mix and good players, good players, I mean, players are so good at thinking their way out of Mm -hmm. uh, situations, you know? Um, Yeah. And it's such a delight of GMing to 
present players with problems that even you don't know how they're going to get their way out of it and watching as they do it. So if they are failing, you know, maybe just they just need more tools in the toolbox. So throw some more stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good, really good point. Because I think the the reality is that um, players will ignore the tools that they don't want to use anyway. Hmm. Right. So like, there's no real harm in it other than maybe right. complicating sort of your your mental um, your mental model of what's happening in the scene. Yeah, like I, I keep coming back to your your potential stuck problem. Like there's yeah, there's just so many different ways that you could take that. If if they somehow get there and they have not discovered, um, you know, discovered the the one clue that they need, and I think you have lots of different ways that you can you can do that. And that you're thinking about, it's like I mean, they could show up and there could be another party there that's like also trying to you know do the ritual, something right, like that. Right. Yeah, like yeah, like another god is there. Like there's you know any sort of extenuating circumstance is going to put them into a different mode of thinking. And I think that's really what we're what you're after is like you know something about the way that they're thinking thinking through the problem is is not quite working right so we need to give them more yeah. information or different information or you know change the scene in some way to make it so they, they can they can think in a, a a you know a lateral way about what's going on yeah and we should wrap up here in just a yeah. minute but you know that's already got me thinking hard you know what other the solution is not always going to be bring another faction into the scene but mm-hmm. like in my particular case yeah what if they get there and there's cultists there and they're yeah. they're um they could they're doing something that the PCs can use to glean what they need to do to to undo this mess, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. um I mean there's other just thinking of the scenario, I won't go into the details. You know, there's other people that could have been drawn to this scene for different motives. Mm-hmm. And all of any of those people showing up or being present, I think would be a big wild card in a good way thrown into the mix. So. Yeah. Yeah. You could have um, the cultists could start like going after all their notebooks. Right. It's like the, the cultists are not trying to attack them. Yeah. They're trying to steal their notebooks. Right. Oh yeah. Like, obviously. Could, yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, yeah. What if well before they get to this, they catch mm-hmm. someone trying desperately to steal that notebook yeah. where they have the diary. Like, yeah. you know, maybe that's what prompts them to be like, aha, mm-hmm. this is more valuable <laughs> than we thought. Right. Yes, I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> All right, but I think I think we should wrap up. That's a lot of good food for thought for me, practically, as I have about a week to prep Mm -hmm. for for this scene. I'll let you know in the next episode if it goes well or poorly. If if I don't mention it, you can assume it went poorly, and I wish to never (laughs) never speak of it again. But um, all right. Uh, Chris, why don't you wrap us up here? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, this was fun. This was really fun going back to our table of topics as well. Um, it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I think let's see. So we've been roll for topic. Uh, we're part of the roll for it media podcasting network. Our sister show, the splat book with John Corey and Kyle Latino continues apace. They have been reading all sorts of appendix and related stuff. I think the, the one that I'm starting to listen to now, I'm going to try to get this. I'm going to butcher it. It's the for- fortress unvanquishable save for Sacknoth. <laughs> it's a story by Lord Dunsany. I think I got that right. Maybe. I don't know. They'll let me know <laughs> after they listen to this. Um, so I heard yeah. Kyle say Dunsany. I've always oh, said Dunsany. Uh, yeah. So but we need to get this answered. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to you know ask him for the official pronunciation. Um, but yeah, it it sounds like a wild story. This is, uh, yeah, I need to need to go read that one. Kyle mentioned in the in the podcast, listening to it, he said, it's like if someone wrote the the plot of Legend of Zelda like a hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> something like that but uh, anyway so yes. yeah they're they're lovely people go listen to their podcast as well you can find it at thesplatbook.com 
Um, yeah, but otherwise, I think that is about it for us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Um, uh, rolling on one of our tables. We'll find out which one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which one then. Um, but I've been Chris Salzman. I have been Andy Rao. Remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM.